Welcome to the Time Machine Talk Show. Here's your host, Miss Ziegler. Hey, 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 students. Welcome back to the Time Machine Talk Show. This week, we are going to be talking about the Persian Empire. It's on page 120 in your textbook. So if you want to pause this to give yourself some time to get there, go ahead and do that. So we are going to start right under uh, where it says the Persian Empire on page 120. And it says, in 500 BCE, the largest and most impressive of the world's empires was that of the Persians, an Indo-European people whose homeland lay on the Iranian plateau just north of the Persian Gulf. Living on the margins of the earlier Mesopotamian civilization, the Persians, under a Achaemenid dynasty, constructed an imperial system that drew on previous examples, such as the Babylonian and Assyrian empires, but far surpassed them all in size and splendor. Under the leadership of the famous monarchs Cyrus and Darius, Persian conquest quickly reached from Egypt to India, encompassing in a single state some 35 to 50 million people, an immensely diverse realm containing dozens of peoples, states, languages, and cultural traditions. You can see the map on page 121 just to see how absolutely massive this empire was. The Persian Empire centered on an elaborate cult of kinship in which the monarch, secluded in royal magnificence, could be approached only through an elaborate ritual. When the king died, sacred fires all across the land were extinguished. Persians were expected to shave their hair in mourning, and the manes of horses were cut short. Rulings by the will of great Persian god Aurora Mazda, kings were absolute monarchs, more than willing to crush rebellious regions or officials. Interrupted on one occasion while he was with his wife, Darius ordered the offender, a high-ranking nobleman, killed, along with his entire clan. In the eyes of many, Persian monarchs fully deserved their effusive title, Great King of Kings! King of countries containing all kinds of men, king in this great earth far and wide. Darius himself best expressed the authority of the Persian ruler when he observed, What was said to them by me? Night and day, it was done. All right, your first reading question talks about similarities and differences between the Greeks and the Persian government. And that second paragraph that we read talks about the Persian Empire's monarch and how he ruled. So when you are reading this passage, you need to think about how the government is running here in Persia because that's what we're looking at first. And then you can compare it later on to Greece. So if you go back to the very beginning of the paragraph, it talks about how the monarch is all-powerful. So it's an absolute monarch. It's an elaborate cult of kinship. What does that mean? What is kinship? Kinship is family, right? So it shows you that the emperor's rule was passed down within this family. And it was in uh, secluded in royal magnificence, okay? Just all-powerful rituals were held, and uh, the Persian king was just all-encompassing. So when you're describing this, 
you need to put down that he was an absolute ruler. He was given power by the Persian gods. And because of this power given to him by the gods, the people accepted him as king of kings. That very last quote where Darius says, What was said to them by me night and day, it was done. He was all powerful. No one questioned the king. So let's continue with the next paragraph and maybe you'll get some more to add to this answer. It says, But more than conquest and royal decree held the empire together. An effective administrative system placed Persian governors called satraps in each of the empire's 23 provinces, which lower level officials were drawn from local authorities. A system of imperial spies, known as the eyes and ears of the king, represented a further imperial presence in the far reaches of the empire. A general policy of respect for the empire's many non-Persian cultural traditions also cemented the state's authority. Cyrus won the gratitude of the Jews when in 539 BCE he allowed those exiled in Babylon to return to their homeland and rebuild their temple in Jerusalem. So this tells you a little bit more about the government that you should put in your notes. Put down that the administrative system was divided up into provinces, which means like little sections of the empire. And lower level officials were drawn from the local authorities in order to help these governors run the provinces. You can also put down that there were imperial spies who are known as the eyes and ears of the king. These are people that are going to make sure that imperial presence or the king's presence is there in all of the empire so that people know that the king is still in charge. And then the lastly, you can put down that they respected non-Persian cultural traditions. So that helps cement the state's authority, the textbook says. And that just means that it allows the state to keep authority because people want to be a part of an empire that's going to respect their traditions. Okay, so going on, we're going to continue where it says, In Egypt and Babylon, Persian kings took care to uphold local religious cults in an effort to gain the support of their followers and officials. The Greek historian Herodotus commented that there is no nation which so readily adopts foreign customs. They have taken the dress of the Medes, and in war they wear the Egyptian breastplate. As soon as they hear of any luxury, they instantly make it their own. For the next thousand years or more, Persian imperial bureaucracy and court life, replete with administrators, tax collectors, record keepers, and translators, provided a model for all subsequent regimes in the region, including later those of the Islamic world. Bureaucracy is a word that you're going to see a lot throughout our reading, and basically it just means the government administration or the elected group who is governing. That's basically what they're talking about there. So it, it's talking about how there were a ton of different officials, such as record keepers, tax collectors, administrators, and how all of those bureaucratic officials are going to provide a model for subsequent regimes in the region. That just means more kingdoms and governments coming to that region. Continuing with the next paragraph, it says the infrastructure of empire included a system of standardized coinage, 
predictable taxes levied on each province, and a newly dug canal linking the Nile with the Red Sea, which greatly expanded commerce and enriched Egypt. We see the word infrastructure there. That just basically means anything that they're using for physical and organizational structures in the civilization or the society. So buildings, roads, power supply, water supply, things like that. All right, so let's go on. It says a royal road, some 1,700 miles in length, length, facilitated communication and commerce across this vast empire. Caravans of merchants could traverse this highway in three months, but agents of the Imperial Courier Service, usually a fresh supply of horses every 25 to 30 miles, could carry a message from one end of the road to another in a week or two. Herodotus was impressed. Neither snow, nor rain, nor heat, nor darkness of night, he wrote, prevents them from accomplishing the task proposed to them with utmost speed. And an elaborate underground irrigation system sustained a rich agricultural economy in the semi-arid conditions of the Iranian plateau and spread from there throughout the Middle East and beyond. So they had a great road system. That's basically what they're talking about there. And I want you to take a minute to think about how that would help their government. How is it going to help their empire? Well, it's definitely going to help them because it's going to help them stay in communication with each other. And when you have such a large empire like that, it's super important. All right, moving on, the last paragraph says, The elaborate imperial centers, particularly Susa and Persophilus, reflected the immense wealth and power of the Persian Empire. Palaces, audience halls, quarters for the harem, Monuments and carvings made these cities into powerful symbols of imperial authority. Materials and workers alike were drawn from all corners of the empire and beyond. Inscribed in the fountain of Persophilus was Darius's commentary on what he had set in motion. And Aurora Mazda was of such a mind together with all the other gods that this fortress should be built. And so I build it. And I build it secure and beautiful and ad adequate just as I was intending to do. One thing that we discuss a lot in AP World History is point of view. And point of view basically means who is the author, what does he or she believe, and why do they believe it. The why is the important part because the why is often not said in the document. It's something that we have to infer or figure out on our own. So let's look at this last comment by Darius. What does he believe, first of all? Well, he believes that the gods have enabled him to be powerful and to build what he was asked to build, which is the fortress. And he says he built it secure, beautiful, and adequate, just as he was intending to do. So in his eyes, he did a fantastic job. Well, why does he believe it? What is his point of view? And the answer would simply be, he believes this because he's the king. He believes that he is all-powerful, and therefore he has done this perfect work. So his point of view is that this is amazing. Would everyone have this point of view? Maybe not. There might be some people back then that believed that he shouldn't be all powerful and they might have a little bit different point of view. Or if you were from Greece, would you have the same point of view? Would you think that this Persian fortress was perfect and beautiful? Maybe not. Maybe you would think that it was a waste of money. Okay, so when you're writing about point of view, think about who the person is, what do they believe, and why do they believe it. That why part is always something that's 
external from the document, such as their status, who they are in society, their religion, their nationality, their race, their gender, all of those things go with point of view and affect why we think the way that we do. We'll work on that more this year. This wraps up this edition of the Time Machine Talk Show on Persia. Tune in next week where we will be talking about the Greeks and how they relate to Persia. Thank you for listening.